Sedan looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Flatshirt final. Jason Jones here from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer. Joe Patrick from Nights Who Went In The Game and Dirty South Soccer is over there. Joe Patrick, burn it all down. <laughs> hello, hello. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring the energy here because uh, it's no, not been a great no. day. Not been a great day. <laughs> Do we even want energy? Let's be real. No, it's not Probably energy. Not. No, let's not. Uh, let's not get on here and say how much we stand certain things or anything like that. Let's let's not post any emojis in our tweets. Let's just let's just face this head on and call it what it was, which was just a, a tire fire of a game and of a tournament and. Of a lot of things, really. There's a whole lot to talk about. Uh, normally, we kind of see ourselves as maybe a more uh, thoughtful outlet for, for these kind of thoughts. But I think me and Joe both are just kind of uh, frustrated with things. Um, I mentioned in the last Five Strike Final that, you know, I was kind of joking around during the Red Bulls game. LOL, we're losing again to this team that, that owns us. And then I mentioned, I was like... But man, if we lose to Cincinnati, I'd be real mad. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be weird? And then and then it happened, and I was just thoroughly unprepared for how much I would care. It's true. Um, it's it's because that that Red Bulls game was all absorbed with the context of just destroying FC Cincinnati, right? So it was like, yes. okay, well, it's a, it's it'll be fine because you know we've got this big win coming that will at least allow us to forget about this loss. And now, now everybody's like, well, against Red Bulls, we should have won. <laughs> it's like people are using the Red Bulls game to make sense of this one or to at least like commiserate. Uh, it's, it's really bad. Today was a day where obviously what we saw on the field was a complete capitulation. Like, I don't even know mm-hmm. you could describe it any number of ways. But I think it is also kind of a day where we start to reckon with a lot of the um, ways that the club is kind of losing its ethos or like kind of losing itself. Mm-hmm. Like it's um, it's a tough day uh, for Atlanta United fans, and it is not just down to the result of this game. It like it's not just down to them maybe going out of MLS's back. It, I think there's a lot more to it than that. That's exactly it. And that's what a lot of people aren't going to understand when things get posted on the mothership, maybe while we're doing the show, or on Dirty South Soccer, that, that are critical. Uh, the, it is not from a place of this one game. You know, Today was mm-hmm. just another, another blip in, in a sea of things that are you know, increasingly worrisome and things we've been talking about since the beginning of last year you know um that were maybe stayed off by some relatively small sample size successes and things like tournaments you know um gosh man that's the thing that i don't i don't want anyone to get confused this was not a reaction and none of the reactions you're seeing are going to be just solely based on this one game it's going to be based on a litany of things that have kind of built up over time and today was i describe it in a piece i wrote for for the mothership as you know the movie it 
when you see the monster and it takes the the form of your worst fear that mm-hmm. was this game for Atlanta United fans it's exactly what it was I mean everything you were ever concerned about maybe had in the back of your mind as like a talking point for something that might not be positive that's what happened right they came out flat they weren't motivated right we've worried about Frank's man management and his ability to do that they came out tactically inept they never ever looked threatening going forward right um, they were undisciplined uh, the, the personnel that they put in continues to be extremely shaky you know and just were unassured especially after Red Bulls too where Joseto and, and Castro weren't very good and you rotate them bring in mm-hmm. new folks today and then they weren't very good at one point you sub in Edgar Castillo for Adam John which is the most like 2009 MLS nonsense ever. <laughs> and then Edgar Castillo doesn't even make it the whole game as a sub. Um, those are problems. Yeah. It and was, they're indicators I mean, it was of not, problems. I, th- I feel like we need to trace back to last year, the beginning of last year with Frank DeBoer. Mm-hmm. And kind of, we, I think we need to talk about how we felt about him at that point when Atlanta United was struggling and kind of where we are now with Atlanta United struggling again early in the season and talk about why we're in a different place now. And I was yeah. kind of one of the ones, you know this, that I was kind of more def- defensive of him or or at least just kind of advocating for people to um, give him time to let him try to adjust to his new surroundings in Atlanta, um, to adjust to his players that he didn't really know very well. You know, he took over just kind of weeks before their training camp started. And so I thought that it was important for that to happen. And now we're a year on, you know, and as Rob Usry has said many times, like this roster apparently has been like fitted to his ideals, like to his style. He's got a certain type of player that he had in mind that he wanted in this squad. And so in the off season, you see the departures of guys like Tito Villalba Julian Gressel, Leandro Gonzalez Perez, and they replaced him with 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 players. And you would expect if you're going to get rid of that kind of talent and production, you have to expect that the players that come in are going to be able to settle into Frank DeBoer's system quite quickly. Because otherwise, why would, why are you even making those moves? Darlington Agby is another huge one. I'm sure some of these players they didn't want to get rid of. Some of these guys were probably squeezed out by. Mm-hmm. Um, personal desires, I think, in Darlington's case, I think he was quite obvious that he wanted to move back to Columbus um, or, you know, TAM or GAM or budgetary reasons that some of these guys maybe had to move to an extent. But, you know, I just have a lot less kind of sympathy for the the poor play at this point. And I know that the the team has been off. Obviously, all these all these teams have not been playing recently. But again, you're you're testing yourself against other teams that have been in the same position. And it's it's hard to take today's like the way that they played today and and use it as like a a litmus test for what this team is because of the weird circumstances. The fact that it was played at nine a.m. It was in this heat mm. and you're playing with down a man for most of the game. Um, but I think that it is just another kind of data point. It's not like they were playing well before the break, like against, right. against Nashville, even when, even when Joseph was playing against Nashville, mm-hmm. like it's not like the team was tearing it up. Um, they kind of needed uh, great goals from uh, Emerson Hyman. And I think Zachary Barco scored the other one. They yep. barely beat FC Cincinnati in the other game. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they just haven't looked convincing. And 
it's a problem. It, it's a pr- and, and it's not just a problem from what I'm seeing on the field, but I think it's a problem. Like what is really a problem is kind of the what you see from the body language and from the quotes, and it mm-hmm. just seems like a lot of people are disinterested in the team unity. And I know that we've been talking today about San Jose and Matias Almeida, and it's like two completely different teams when you kind of juxtapose them to Atlanta United, you know, like they are one unit, one team. They would give anything for their teammates, you know, Mm -hmm. and you do not sense that with Atlanta United. And I think there's a reason. Absolutely. No. And I could gush about Almeida like all day just to get those dudes man marking and, and people who, you know, historically have not wanted to play defense at all that they played, they man mark. And it's because he gives you quotes like the ones he gave last night where he's talking about how, uh, essentially, they love each other and they want to fight for each other. And he's he's not mad. He's never going to be mad. They're him. on a quest. Exactly. They're on a quest. And as long as you keep insisting was the phrasing that I think the translation kind of worked into. But I loved it. Um, as long as you keep insisting, he's going to know that you're trying. And that's all that matters. And Matias Ameda loves you no matter what. Can, can we as read long the, as you're trying. Can we read the full quote? I've got it. Do you? Can we read it? I love it. Please he read says, it. He says, we I, believe in our style. This doesn't mean... It's good or bad, but it's our style, and we're in, we're on this quest. When things go well, we're very happy because we see the way we train and live reflected on the field. And then this group knows that on the field they have freedom, freedom to invent, freedom to take risks. What moves me is not that they make mistakes. The player who makes mistakes is the one who's trying, and the player who doesn't try is never going to make mistakes. So I'll stick with the player who's trying, and I accept the mistake. But now, if after a mistake you don't try again... That's where I get worried. My players are showing that in the face of a mistake, they insist. I love that it. is like the opposite message. <laughs> from, yeah, from what I hear from from DeBoer, where it's like, don't make mistakes, and um, and I think that you see that reflected in the players. So I want to I want to throw out a phrase here, and I really love this phrase, um, and I think it's true in soccer, maybe more than than most sports, anyway. Uh, and the phrase is culture eats policy um, every time culture is going to eat policy and if the culture is not there it does not matter at all what your tactics are it doesn't matter what you're doing in the day-to-day if the culture is not there for people to buy in you know and for people to, to execute those things it's not going to work and uh, Frank DeBoer is never someone who has inspired a culture that would foster those kind of things if we're being upfront. So after the game today, I asked Jeff a question that looked like it pissed him off. I, I asked yep. him if there was, <laughs> I, I asked him if, the, if like he felt like there was a lack of passion. The reason I asked, I asked him that question was um, not because, not necessarily because I was like angry that I didn't see it or something, but I, I wanted to kind of give him a chance to vent if, if he did feel like that that was an issue. And of course he didn't do that, but he still might feel that way. I just felt like watching that game, it, I felt like if Joseph Martinez is out there. He is chewing people out if he, if he's yeah. out there today uh, with the way that the team was playing, and I'm not saying that the, that you know Joseph like the team has to have Joseph in the team. Um, well, I mean maybe they do, <laughs> maybe they do, <laughs> but um, not necessarily like for his goals. But he is the one who brings that culture, right? Like that you're just mm-hmm. talking about. And without him, you've got talented players. You've got Ezekiel Barco. You've got Pitti Martinez. Um, I know Pitti has been saying he's been trying to be more of a vocal leader this year, but you just don't see the harmony between the pieces. You know, like you don't see 
them like giving everything for one another. And I think that we saw that when Tata Martino was here. Like you saw Absolutely. a lot of what um, Almeida was saying was like, you make mistakes, but you're giving everything while you're making those mistakes. And and you fight for the guy next to you. And it just doesn't feel like that is the case at Atlanta United right now. Right now it feels to me like everybody is kind of at Atlanta United for, like in their own little capsule and they're using Atlanta United as a club to get to their next place, whether it's getting to Europe or um, whatever their their next place is. But it feels like there's not the connectedness that there once was between the players. And I think that it's even more systemic and that that connectedness is kind of like the, the club seems to be fracturing all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's not, that sounds that sounds harsh, but like, <laughs> I, I think you well, know what I mean at least. I do know what you mean because that that was my next thought. Was I wonder, you know, where the front office is at all in all of this? You know, as far as where are they in the culture and are they completely, you know, buying into this at this point? To Frank, was this off season a thing where they, you know, really, really believed in his message and went out and actually got the guys he he wanted or maybe they met at a halfway point because they didn't really buy into it you know um god i just can't <laughs> i always think about how different darren and frank are you know darren and tata had a very similar energy is that is that fair to i say? think so yeah I think that's you know? fair. and so to think about how different they are um it just doesn't click it just doesn't click um which brings me to my next point well, if you had, well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, Darren is a really competitive guy, and so is Carlos Bocanegra. And I think that um, it, it's what really needs to happen at this club right now, and Frank, too, for that matter. I think what ha- needs to happen is there needs to be, like, some some reckoning with with what is going wrong. Like, you have to acknowledge the problem exists before you can solve the problem. And I don't, like totally get the sense that that problem is being acknowledged right now i feel like Mm -hmm. there's a hard line like for like push forward go ahead um without really wanting to address some of the issues that are that are taking place and i think that again maybe all right let's be real (laughs) The shrieks th- of the defeated. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Okay. Like I feel like I feel like that is emblematic of like a certain kind of culture at the club that makes it where it's so corporate that it's passionless. Yeah, it's like it's passionless in in that we're it's so like in trouble. When <laughs> it is. Win at all costs. It, it, it's it, it's weird. I don't know. Like it's just like the whole dominance, um, dick swinging that's going on from the club is mm-hmm. like not very attractive for fans. I think, in my opinion, I think it engenders like not a great quality in the fan base. I thought that this fan base had the most fun with Atlanta United when. Um, it wasn't necessarily about that. It wasn't about winning. It was about being the best time in Atlanta. You know, mm-hmm. it was about being fun. And now it feels like a chore. And winning is like this like little pleasure that comes with, 
All right, so uh, we we had a question about like what is happiness, and I actually <laughs> looked it up. Okay. I, lo- I googled this. I googled this question to get like a psychologist point of view. Oh, okay. And there's a, obviously a difference between happiness and pleasure, right? And to me, the wins are the pleasure, but happiness mm-hmm. is like how watching Atlanta United makes you feel. And I think that that happiness is totally gone or different from how it used mm-hmm. to be. And the and the pleasures might be there every once in a while. I think we saw that last year. It was like, okay, well, we kind of convinced ourselves that it was pleasurable enough. But once those pleasures start to leave, it's like, what are you left with? You're left with a really boring-ass team to watch with yeah. increasingly mediocre players. That's a that's very well said. That's really, really well said, honestly. Um, and it gets back to a major point that I've kind of had, which is that the most obvious and apparent deficiency in having, you know, someone like Frank DeBoer at the helm is that aesthetically it just doesn't click. It just doesn't click. It doesn't, doesn't provide that same thing. And I could kind of compare it to like, you were talking about all of a sudden you're just focused on winning. You know, it, it's kind of like a a musician or an artist who kind of makes stuff at the beginning just to like have fun and enjoy it. And it's very good, you know, because of that. And they kind of get big. And after that, it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta turn out a hit and it sucks right <laughs> and that's kind of where Atlanta United's gotten at this point um they're they're trying to turn out hits and and when you you know they've brought in Timbaland they brought in all these other shitty producers and they're just not getting the job done you, you know you got to find the next like scrappy innovative guy to, to do something you know yeah um yeah totally because it's stale it's stale it's stale right now it, it's it's a slog and we mentioned last year a few times and, and for me especially i felt this that last year was just a struggle bus sometimes it really was you know to, to be invested in this team and, and to watch every day and to you know go to the press conferences and ask the the same questions about you know why are y'all struggling to get forward and everything like that um i just didn't have the same joy you know and again when the culture is that when you have built a fan base that's predicated on having those electrifying moments and having those exciting games, um, and you lose that, then there's a problem. There's a problem, and I think it says a lot about where this team might be heading if we really want to think about the future and the end of, of 2020, if you catch my drift. Oh, yeah, I, I catch your drift. <laughs> I mean, I think Frank, like, okay, this is the kind of result where if it happens at like River Plate or somewhere, <laughs> or, like people are, fans are burning down the police precinct, you know, it's like, uh. it, this is like, this is bang down the door. Um, it reminds me of like when, uh, who was it that got sacked? Uh, oh, it was Bruce Arena. When Bruce Arena lost that trend and Tobago game and it took mm-hmm. like, three days for or four days or however long it was before he was officially released of his duties relieved of his duties like that was that was like a disgrace for <laughs> like around the world everybody was like you just lost the game that would have got you into the world cup like what are you doing it should he mm-hmm. should be in that should be announced in the post-game press conference that he's not the coach anymore i'm not saying that that necessarily needs to happen right now but i think that we're in a place right now where things are bad enough where that's possible. And I think that, honestly, if we're talking about Frank DeBoer getting sacked or fired or whatever, um, I mean, 2020, this is kind of the perfect 
uh, out like opportunity for the two sides to part ways. You know, you've got no game scheduled officially after this mm-hmm. tournament. Um, I, th- I think it could happen. Uh, I think that you'd be crazy not to think that they're not at least considering other options at this point because things, mm-hmm. again, things just don't seem to be getting better. And I just really hope that the people, the decision makers that are in charge at the club understand what we've been talking about in this conversation in that it's not necessarily just about winning games. It's about seeing a team out there that really cares for one another, will play Mm -hmm. for one another, and obviously will play attractive soccer. Um, I do want to say one thing as it relates to press conferences. Like Frank said some things after the game today. I wouldn't put much stock into these things. Like after a bad loss, he's not going to come out and trash the team like fans want to hear um, Same with Jeff. That's why that's why we do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ex- explicitly so, the only reason, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to put that caveat out there. <laughs> it, man. Can you imagine this team with Almeida? <laughs> like, I know we mentioned that a couple times in the Slack, but I don't know. Just to have someone on that level of inspiration again and, and that level of just engaging soccer. Um, I was I was thinking about it today when uh, I saw missed. Bielsa's nearly got Leeds up into the Premier League now. Yeah. Um, what an amazing time that must be for those Leeds fans. And I again, we're like they, these are two South American Argentine coaches. Um, it's not necessarily about the nationality, although I do think with Atlanta United squad that you know makes a lot of sense for a South American manager to kind of be able to build a lot of those bonds um, in the players and the team. But I just think that. The team, whether it's Frank, miraculously, or somebody else, they need to find somebody that can like strengthen the team psychologically, um, and it, like in ways that aren't necessarily about tactics and whether you're playing a three four three or four two three one or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So far beyond that right now. Definitely, definitely. Um, what were your like? What were you? What were you? What were your emotions like watching that game today? Did you have uh, any? God, I was one. I was really tired. First off, just from doing the newsletter, <laughs> and I went, I went to bed late last night, and, and I woke up early for that. And then I was I was just grumpy in general. Um, and it kind of came through on the Twitter, I think. <laughs> um, but just frustration and uh, again. Uh, reckoning because you you kind of come into it with the hope that okay we, we've given this guy time we've given the front office time to set things up in a different way you know we've given we've given pt time we've given a secular time you know to to really start to to show us something and it's just not happening <laughs> it's just not <laughs> i don't know what to tell anybody and we can talk about the caveats right we can talk about Mulraney getting the the early cards, you know, Frank can't control that. Um, but even before that, it looks rough, you know. Uh, PT played terrible, no matter what, you know. A secular really couldn't get going, and we can talk about, you know, how it's weird right now, you know, and it's kind of like a preseason game. But again, these aren't relatively new feelings on these things, you right. know. It's it's been a year and a half um, with, you know. A long break in between, obviously, but other teams are doing just fine in this tournament. Other teams are dealing with the heat. Other teams are 
playing well, you know, and, and playing cohesively and playing with the style. Freaking Orlando is doing it, you know, and that should be that should be the most indicting thing out of all of it right now. <laughs> I know small sample size and everything, but they look like they have a plan, you know. They right. look like they know what they want to do, and they look like they they care, um, and, and that's gotten them six points. So. I don't know. That that's my feelings. I also I I feel like this uh, Orlando tournament is a really interesting um, position for these players to be in because I think it to an extent exacerbates the kinds of issues that Atlanta United that we suspect that they have. Where if you don't feel a true connection with some of your teammates, and if you don't fully believe in your manager um, or you feel like your manager doesn't fully believe in you you are stuck in a as Alejandro Bedoya called it like a glorified prison or whatever for (laughs) a month or however long it is that they're there and that can't be easy for these players to deal with if you're not feeling like if you're not feeling good you know like if you're in a bad mood for whatever reason um, it's very difficult and I feel like Maybe potentially some of those things are starting to play out for Atlanta just being stuck there and I, I tweeted today um, after the game saying that like these next four days or five days until the next game on Tuesday is going to be like the longest five days of their lives because I'm sure <laughs> they're all pissed off probably at one another probably at themselves you know they're pissed off at the world Emerson sure. Hyman <laughs> and um, and that's not easy so I don't think it's magically going to get better against uh against the crew here right it's if anything I think it's going to kind of continue to unravel to an extent for sure for sure um a lot of questions to answer a lot of a lot of issues that have been around for a while and, and are somewhat manifesting themselves here and again we're not trying to to overreact, overreact. Um, we're just two dudes who happen to have a platform. Our opinion is not more valid than yours. We are, you know, just kind of taking it as we see it. Um, but you know, that's our thoughts and that's our feelings from just being around the team for you know and being around the entire culture of the team for for the last year and a half. Um, and again, I, I really want to make a point too that you know it's not entirely frank. The the front office has whiffed a 100%. couple of times. Let's be real. They've whiffed, you know. Um, and we can even look at the, the hiring of Frank as a weird culture fit in general. It, at the time, it didn't make sense. Go back and listen to those old episodes. And we all went, uh, <laughs> okay, sure. Crystal Palace guy. We talk about one more uh, guy who I think was a terrible, one, a guy they let go with that was just a, a really bad move was Julian Gressel. And I remember... Yeah last year after a game um and i can't even remember if they won or lost i want to say they lost and it was like one of those one of those ones where players get thrown out in front of the media nobody wants to do it but of course you've got like jeff and gressel always got thrown out there and gressel like took a stand he took a stand for frank de boer saying that mm-hmm. he, t- he like 100 percent backed the manager he was a really strong press conference and he and he you know, gave a strong statement in support of his teammates as well. And we all know how good of a ball Julian Gressel can serve in from that right-hand side, which we have not seen since his departure, I think <laughs> is fair to yeah. say. 
Um, so despite whatever you lose on the field, you lose a vital component to a player that really helped institute what Atlanta United is. Like he mm. was a part, you know, he, he started the first game in club history. Like he had such an important role to play in my opinion for the future of this club. And I know that he wanted to raise, but I think he deserved it. And I think right. that what he was giving you, like, I don't, I don't think that even, Okay, even if you think that like he is not athletic enough, and so you don't want to invest in a four-year contract with a player who's already in his mid twenties, I just feel like what he gave you was like he had, he he provided you so many intangibles and other things as well as his production, which was undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just thought that that was a terrible move. And again, the front office made a move, and they're gonna have to they're gonna have to sleep with that decision. You know, like they made their bed, they're gonna have to lay in it. I just hope that. At this point, you know, they can't go back and undo some of these things, but I hope they grapple with where the club is now and are able to make decisions um, to rectify that as much as they can. But it's going to be tough. Oh, yeah, totally. And my thing with the front office, too, is that they do have proof of concept. Like, that team doesn't make Mm -hmm. it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year if they don't put together a really good squad at the very beginning. Atlanta United is none of this without Darren Nels, without Carlos Bocanegra, without Lucy Rushton, without Paul McDonough, you know. 100%. Uh, you know, and they have that proof of concept. You know, we're, we're not going to sit here and act like they've they've completely screwed this up and it's not redeemable. Because it is. Because it is. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just sometimes you need to, to shift things to make to make that happen. Um, but the shifts they made this offseason were, I think, objectively wrong. <laughs> you know, to, to not pay Gressel. And then, of course, you talk about the leadership factor there. You, you look at someone like Leandro, mm-hmm. you know, who, who was a leader those first two years. A leader to the point where people were saying, I think he's the next captain. And then you bring someone else in, and it all goes to hell. And there's like a little mini mutiny going on. And Leandro's brother starts like chatting with people on Twitter and being <laughs> like, hey, this is nonsense. So, <laughs> you know, it's, and that's a culture thing. That is a straight-up yeah. culture thing. And they tried to get rid of that this offseason. They tried to bring in these new people. And the problem with that is they're not as good at soccer. They're just not. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and from from what I understand, like, the reason why, like, Leandro... <clears throat> Leandro was not happy at the club. Like, no. I know that his in his quotes he said that he... Wanted to stay, loved Atlanta, and I do believe that 100%. Like, I mm-hmm. 100% believe that he would have loved to have continued playing in Atlanta, but I think there was legitimate issues between himself and Frank DeBoer, and it became an untenable situation between the two of them. And when you're deciding who's going to go, it's much easier to move a player than it mm-hmm. is, you know, to recoup an, a, a, a fee for a player than it is to move a manager. And I'm not saying that necessarily that it, you know, that was even on the table, but I think it is uh, evidence that the club decided to go with Frank, you know, they, mm-hmm. which they, is fair. And they had more invested in him. Right. But at the same time, it does, you know, it's an indicator. It's another thing you can just add to the list where it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm not sure this is the, the culture that, you know, you want this team surrounded in right now if you care you know um and then you look at someone like tito you know who also had a had a presence at the very least and in his first couple years was productive 
you know, it, cut it either way. You can talk about, you know, some bad touches. You can talk about some, you know, not great technical ability. But at the same time, the dude got output. Teodal Football had a great point today in the Slack where he was talking about how people saw him as like a wide receiver who dropped a pass and didn't consider that he had to get really open to get that pass in the first place, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that balances out eventually. And it, it's just strange to, you know, see him drop off to um, under Frank. And it's, it's, it's hard to reckon with, especially when like, you know, to, to Rob's point, and I don't know if we should, it's really fair to throw this on Rob, but to talk about like bringing people in for Frank DeBoer's stylistic purposes and everything like that to all of a sudden decide that Jurgen Dam is a better option than Tito is entirely incorrect from a soccer perspective, <laughs> from a TikTok perspective. Great call. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, the thing is that the, the, t- the tough thing is I don't get the impression that Frank like necessarily loves being here either. You know, like, never have. He doesn't seem happy. Um, to an extent, I kind of see him the same way as I think Pitti's mentality was coming in, where it's like this was a chance for them. Well, different situations in their career. Obviously, Pitti was coming off of like his the best year of his career. Um, but they both saw Atlanta as an opportunity for themselves individually um, to to kind of move on to the next stage of their careers like you know a stepping stone essentially which is fine like to me that's fine that's not necessarily a bad thing but um but they i I see it's very hard (laughs) and um i think like mls is probably one of the hardest leagues to adapt to to manage in because of all the various weird oddities of the league that we've talked about so many times and i feel like i I get this i start to feel like frank is like starting to get um, like done with it, annoyed. Just like an like, it's just like not working out. <laughs> it's like you know, it's just I don't know how to say it. Like I don't I don't know how to say sure. it. I see it. Could we compare it to, you know, you just you just get out of a relationship with someone who's really great, you know, but you guys had to you guys had to move on for like different reasons like they had to move to a new job you get it you weren't going to stop them from following their dream and, and you follow up with this person and they're great they're 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 great but but it's just not working <laughs> you know um and it's not like it's not like anyone's fault you know it's not anyone's real you know no one did anything wrong here it's just both, not both sides working. were looking for something out of the relationship and you think it's you're going to get it and then you get in the relationship uh-huh. and you realize you're not getting what you were looking for in that relationship uh-huh yeah exactly yeah and so when the time comes imagine if in relationships you have like a set deadline to, to make calls on those relationships <laughs> right yeah <laughs> You would maybe make a decision. All right, that it's best time, time to, to decide if we want to extend the contract of this relationship. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's essentially what it is. Um, yeah. Can we? You mentioned earlier that you had some idea of how long that contract might be. Can we mention that? Well, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense to think that it's probably 
along the same lines as what Tata had, which was a two mm-hmm. plus two. Um, uh, two years with a two-year mutual option to extend. Um, if you were Frank DeBoer, would you have signed any longer for than two years at an MLS club coming from a Premier League club? I don't know if you would. I know that um, I, I think I remember asking Darren about this at his signing because Darren did like a little stand-up scrum after Frank's pre- initial introductory press conference, and he just said that it was mm-hmm. a, a a long contract. You know, he wasn't very vague on the details, and that's um, the great thing about Tata was he would just be like, "Yeah, I have a two-year two plus two. That's how we knew Tata's contract was because he just said it in a press conference. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe maybe Frank would say it. I don't know. But somebody has to ask him, I guess. I think one of the Spanish sure. uh, language media members asked Tata, and he was happy to respond. But Or maybe he just said it off the cuff. But um, that's what I suspect it is. We'll and if it is, you would think that, you know, we're in the middle of a really weird year, you know? And you do wonder, right. like, what are the terms on that contract if the – league's schedule goes like into next year or something you know you just i don't know i don't i don't know what happens there but i feel like there's an opportunity for these two sides to split part ways well we'll find out probably soon maybe who knows who knows we were good there i think we held back on some things that we may unleash once this is all once this is all over but uh we did great you and me joe patrick and I think I think the, the listeners deserve an ad break. Before we get back into the show, did just want to remind everybody that this episode is brought to you by our friends at Lucid FC. That is Lucid Footwear and Clothing. You can check them out at lucidfc.us. Not .com, but .us. And if you're new to the show and you're just kind of learning about Lucid FC, they're like a modern European fashion brand. They've got some really cool stuff, so I really do recommend everybody go to their website and check them out. Maybe the most... Interesting thing they have, though, is masks. You should you should be interested in getting a mask. They've got some really cool ones. Um, they've got the, they're like the ones that form a special nasal passage too, and it complements the face contours and has three layers, washable and reusable, so it's like the best mask you can possibly get. And of course, they're designed up all really cool, so that you'll want to wear them. And the coolest part about it all is that they've set up a partnership with a number of hospitals around the world to provide face masks for them. So for each purchase that is placed with lucid fc they will donate four times the the amount of masks that you bought to health officers healthcare workers around the world so you can be sure that while you're protecting yourself you're also protecting other people which is fantastic Um, you can get free shipping with them through dss if you just enter shipping code dss at checkout you can get free shipping Um, and you can also pick up curbside if you want from their studio in buckhead if you want to do that just uh, on your order choose pick up and not shipping and it's as easy as that so with that out of the way let's get into the rest of the show wow what another stunning ad read from joe patrick who just continues to be the michael jordan of ad reads Fun fact, Michael Jordan would be the Michael Jordan of ad reads if he did that. I'm patting myself on the back right now. Patting myself on the back. Uh Uh-huh. Proud of you. Very proud of you. We moved from the ad reads to some questions you guys had. We had a lot of engagement on this one. Uh, I wonder why. So (laughs) we'll just move through these as best we can. Um, And and just no particular order. (laughs) Because this show is for the people again. Because we're remembering to ask for y'all's questions. 
Um, this one comes from Matt Sharon at Matt22. Sharon says, do you see the potential, quotation marks, additions of Dam and Lopez as something that can really turn this around? Or is the whole, the six, and weird formation just too much in terms of being a real contender? Um, for me, it's not just the whole at the six. It's the whole at a few places right now. Um, the weird formation is definitely hindering that. Um, but this team got, in a way, it got deeper. But in a much more real way, it got more average with all these additions. You just added in more average players. And like if you added up the sum of it, maybe it's better. But like the mean is worse. If right. that makes sense. Yeah, it's like you, you know? got Anton Walks, who was a, actually a key player for totally. uh, someone like Tata Martino. He can't necessarily get into the starting lineup of this team. Um, but so like what is... I don't know what is the value of Anton Walks if he's not necessarily playing. I mean, it, yeah, it, it would be nice to have him when somebody gets hurt. Personally, I think he, he's good enough to be playing the starting eleven. But yeah, there's Absolutely. a lot more depth. But what does depth actually get you other than something to talk about on a podcast? You know, I'm not sure. Ooh, <laughs> but those are huge. Those are huge. Keep giving us things to talk about on the podcast. Um, as far as Dam and Lopez, Dam is not good at soccer. I think we need to keep pointing them out <laughs> um, from every, from all accounts. It's just, you know, very good dude. Very fun dude. He's very fast dude. He's like the guy in mighty ducks, uh, Mendoza who like can't stop. He like can't. Yes. He, <laughs> he's just like very fast skater, but he can't do anything with it. Fun fact that dude grew up to be foggy on Marvel's daredevil television series. There you go. Wow. Um, Lopez. I, I, People are putting a lot of stock in Lopez, man. He's like a 19-year-old who we don't know anything about. It's very weird to me to go on like the subreddit yeah. and Twitter and be like, Lopez is going to re- revitalize this attack. And Man, the last few attempts from the front office to do that haven't clicked. He's got four professional goals, like four goals in his, <laughs> as, as, as like a top flight professional. So uh-huh. if, if they're actually paying three and a half million for him, they're paying... <laughs> They're paying a lot on a uh, right. per goal basis, at least. I, I mean, I do think he'll come in and be the starting striker um, pretty much immediately. But again, even like this question it, to me is kind of a perfect example of that gets at the issues that we were talking about in the first segment, where it's like even if mm-hmm. uh, Lopez does score some goals and maybe helps the team win some games, not sure that that really helps cure what ails this team right now which is Mm -hmm. being a not very fun team to watch i would prefer them be fun i don't know about everybody else yeah that's a good take that's a good take uh joe laszlo asked will the sun come up tomorrow nah man it's supposed to rain ain't no sun um What's the most legit? This comes from Bart. What's the most legitimate criticism you can make of Frank DeBoer, the front office, and the players? Uh, Frank DeBoer, we talked about a culture, uh, front office. Um, they've whiffed on big time players. I think that's the biggest thing. And it's not to say that it's not to say that PT and Barco are bad soccer players. They're not. They're not. Have they justified the price tag yet? No. They haven't. Yeah. They haven't. Yeah. I don't know. You can at me about that, but they haven't. What were Pitti's numbers last year? It was like five goals and eleven five assists. Five and eleven, and that's yeah, including nine and MLS. That's including hockey assists yeah. on the on the assist exactly. There. To put that in perspective, in Tito Vialba's first year, I mean the player we just sent to to middle of nowhere, Paraguay, 
Um, I don't know if it's middle of nowhere, Paraguay. It may have been a huge city of Paraguay. We sent to Paraguay. Um, Libertad. But the player we just sent to Paraguay, yes, Libertad, um, had 13 and 11 his first year under Tata. And that's the player y'all all said was bad, Tito. So 13 and 11. Not 5 and 11, 13. Just saying. Yeah. And that was in like 24 games. He didn't start all of this. 13 and 11. What was the question? The original question. So, the what's the most legitimate criticism you can make of Frank DeBoer, uh, the front office, and the players? Yeah, yeah. I I think what you what you said with the front office is is correct. I would agree with that. I I think with Frank, it's like just not being, um, just he's just not not a people person. He like he's not. I I totally get why he's finding it difficult to build this team camaraderie. You know. If you spend time around him, mm-hmm. you get it. He's just kind of cold, and I personally like him. Like honestly, I do. Um, mm-hmm. There have been times where it's been not so formal of a setting. I remember um, last was it last year? Whenever the U twenty World Cup was being played, that Barco was in. Yeah, that was last year. Obviously, it was last year. It was the only year that Frank was here. It's the only um, year that Frank was there. Uh huh. <laughs> Um, we were waiting on a media member to come into the room to start the press conference, and Barco was playing on uh, on TV there in the me- little media center. So he like sat down, pulled up a chair, sat down, and we just kind of like talked a little bit about soccer and stuff, and it was a good time. Um, but I feel like he turns on like a different switch when he has to talk to media, and I feel like he's probably like that with players, where like he's in this mode where coach mode and i am in charge and you are my players and it's not like a fraternal atmosphere do you remember that weird video they posted of him talking to the players the first day because <laughs> yeah. i'll never forget it and no, really nobody won't. understood what he was saying yeah and that was um i think we we knew but we knew then we knew then honestly honestly <laughs> Again. Julian was the one. He was like, Julian, I, you know what I'm talking about. And Julian went, uh, <laughs> yeah. You no? tell him, Julian. Are um, we talking about WrestleMania.com by chance? <laughs> um, <laughs> who knows? Fun Yikes, times. Man. That was nice to laugh. Uh, <laughs> as far as the, um, as the players go, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, PT's been trying lately, at least, but today he was just so bad. They should bad. fall over less often. Yes, that's especially a good when they have the ball. Budgeter. Try not to I, fall over. <laughs> Man, that was the thing about PT today is that he's been working so hard, but yet today I know. he was the most noticeably bad person. Like every action he did was noticeably bad, and, and some players may have had worse games. But they weren't the ones, you know, falling over themselves or, or crossing the ball from touchline to touchline out for a throw-in, you know? I know. Um, I felt bad for him. Because against Red Bulls, sure. he was, like, for sure. the one guy who was actually making things happen and, like, working his freaking ass off in that game, mm-hmm. taking physical punishment from Red Bulls. And, yeah, today, I don't know if he was feeling the effects from that. It did see – it like, it seemed like someone who was playing soccer, not just him, but a lot of people on the team – 
like they had just woken up like two hours before, you know, like <laughs> which they kind of had, yeah. but so at Cincinnati and so have other teams right. in this tournament. Well, I don't, know. I don't know. I think did they say this on the broadcast that Cincinnati has been waking up at like five a.m. for the last four days and like training at <laughs> really? seven thirty or something to get ready for this. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's very metal. Smart. I dig that. Yeah, smart. Hmm. I have not spoken the jobs down. Um, Jeff <laughs> asks at High Five Geo. What the hell was that? Jeff, we don't know. Michael Thornton asks, should I have my house painted first or have my gutters replaced first? Paint the house, worry about what's aesthetic first. That's what I'll always say. So this reminded me, okay, so that's interesting that you took that route. To me, the first thing I thought of was like, have you ever had the debate? Like, do you wash your, okay, let me ask you, do you wash your hair first or your body first when you're in the shower? Uh, Body. Okay, that's, I always do hair first. You're because psycho. it's like you start at the top, <laughs> you start at the top, and then you like work your way uh-huh. down. Essentially, that's how I felt like with like new gutters. You start at the top and then do the paint. This this, this show is not turning into shower talk. Um, his dude has asked, "What is the best formation for this team, and why is it not the three four three? And we've touched on that a lot. Um, ATL Greg one, um, man. I don't know. I don't know what the best formation for this team is because I'm genuinely unsure of like who the best players are at this point, or if any play, any combination of players will work effectively. If that makes sense, like even if you put them into a four-three-three, does it does it work? Does it turn into something uh, noticeably better? Maybe a little better. Does it turn into something noticeably better though? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I do think a four-three-three is the better way to go, but you know. Since losing Nagby, this is something that. So this is interesting. Talking about Toyota football, he had always been worried about how we were going to build up without Nagby, and I had not been so worried about it. I figured Hyman could, could do it. And again, these are the kind of real details where it's hard to really determine exactly if the club, like if if they would be able to pull off, you know, a decent build up. I, I just don't think we've seen enough of the club or of these players yet this season, but I think a four three three just gives you more balance all over the pitch. I think it allows you to press better. I think it gives you know, just having the three men in midfield for me is a big is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Just winning second balls. MLS is such a scrappy league where there's loose balls all the time. I'd rather have that extra guy in midfield. Um so that's why I'd go with a four three three. I think I agree, and Gabe Gonzalez kind of hits at the scrappiness with his next question, uh, who asked, do you guys think if we just threw money at white 20-somethings from Syracuse, we'd have the success the Red Bulls have? Um, And I completely agree. We need to throw more money at at random white guys from solid educations. You know, that's that's the formula, apparently, for Red Bulls who continue to own us, whatever. We keep on getting white guys from clemson and like the acc oh yeah that's where we need to like move change conferences well syracuse in the acc that's true yeah we need to go like huh. ivy league that's always been the yeah that's, 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 what that's, Bull, the, that's the red bulls formula that's the red, <laughs> red bulls, bulls are full of like second team all conference ivy league <laughs> ivy league rowers who have never played soccer um <laughs> dumb conversation um shoot uh, Shay Adam asks, have we really learned anything about our squad from this tourney or this year? If we crash out of Orlando, what positives are we really building off of? Uh, I don't think we, I don't know. Have we really learned anything? I don't know. Cause I think we knew a lot of it already. 
Yeah. We knew a lot. Yeah, I think we already knew. And what this tournament is doing is kind of shining a bright light on it. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Um, Michael Bard. Bart's Bartlemy. Oh, and if we crash Bartlemy? out, there's no positives. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I have no positives from this tournament at all. Maybe Bellow getting forward. Unless somehow uh, crashing out forces a lot of decision makers at the club to kind of reassess where things are. That's true. Could be big. Could be big. Michael Bartlemy asked, do we have any players that make runs to draw defenders and create space? No. Um, Sean O'Leary what does Frank say the advantages to a back three are versus a back four and that's a great question and we would love to ask it but we're getting in like three questions before they cut off the press conferences nowadays yeah it's like one question per person yeah Um, and you have to find and you always have to figure out when Bellow's playing so that's always my question (laughs) (laughs) it was a good question Um, it's a good question yeah I don't know why he prefers the 4-3-3 or the 3-4-3 he started with it last year. Then he went to a four-three-three, and the team was terrible out of that. <laughs> so he went back to the three, the three-five-two or whatever, and then they had some success. But. Yeah. Hmm. Um. What is happening in that question? I don't. Oh, okay. I see what's happening. I'm not going to ask that question. Sorry, Inigo Montoya. Um, socially distant trash monster asks, "Could you hear the shrieking?" Just behind your eyes, the entire match. I, and yes, yes, I could. I joked that the shrieking was happening in the D- DSS comments section. That's where the shrieking was happening. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, the shrieks. Of the, the shrieks defeated, of the defeated. Referring to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, this is why um, you don't sh- market yourself like that because it just totally—it's <laughs> like karma for it to come right back around. Oh, at you. absolutely! You gotta back it up. Uh, Jacob Inman asked what happened to evolution not revolution and it's a question we've been asking since that very first press conference it's absolutely a legitimate question mm-hmm. you know um, because again they, they try to think fix a lot of things that weren't broken last year and now we're here and that's the bottom line yeah I feel like there was some evolution that happened last year but then there was it, it's gone backwards in a big way yeah uh, Chris Herbert asked, better to watch current team or starting Franco up top as he fights goalies. Uh, that wouldn't last long. Franco would just get hit in the face and be be out for a little bit. Um, Alex Niven asked, I guess that's what losing to Van- losing? I guess that's what losing to Vandy feels like. Um, yes, <laughs> that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, I've been there. On the, uh, during the 11 a.m. Jefferson Pilot game. <laughs> oh shit! I'm, I meant to make a Jefferson Pilot joke this morning, and I was too tired. I forgot. Anyway, <laughs> um, King Abuzzo asks, "Should I take this job offer or just use it to get a raise?" Um, always take the new job offer. We're gonna say that, and you can't sue us for for any decisions you might make. Um, and we have one final question, I think from ryan Catneys, and I, I would like to answer it he asked what is happiness and i would say that happiness is when you and a buddy are are just sitting and you're sitting at this, just the central point in the city and you know you, you've been through a lot together and you know the the more is coming you know that you have to make some really hard decisions and sometimes those hard decisions are really going to you know make an impact on on the greater world around you but you you want to own them. You want to. You want to be a part of them. Um, and you know that 
it's bigger than you in this friendship, but in a way that grows the friendship. So you're sitting in the, this, this, this part of the city and you're looking out and you're in this place where all these historical things happen. And your buddy looks at you and says, Riley, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> and that's happiness. Oh, yeah. Love it. Uh, let's get out of here. Bye, y'all.